Welcome back, Defenders. It's Chris here, your host for today. Welcome to Defenders TV Podcast, Episode 60. Here we are, guys. They've given me control once again, so you'll be listening to my dulcet tones for the next couple of seconds. Welcome to Defenders TV Podcast, Episode 60, where today we're looking at Daredevil Season 2, Episode 6, Regrets Only. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. That's enough seconds from you, Chris. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Derek. There we go, guys. You've given me back control. Every mm-hmm. now and again, I like to take control of this garbage truck on fire. And if you kind kind of funny fans will enjoy that one. You know, if if we got together more often, all three of us, you'd get every third episode. Chris. I, so that is it true. wouldn't be as exciting for you. So I like how exciting <laughs> we try to, but you won't allow us. <laughs> you want, <laughs> it's Mummy Derek to the to the gar- garbage crush. <laughs> I, how the guys apparently um, John's been watching season one again where we had uh, Wilson Fisk smashing people with doors, and now it's mm-hmm. going to be putting Chris and the, myself into a garbage crush. So that's even weirder. Anyway, 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 let's jump on quickly. Well, I meant just crushing our dreams of like uh, <laughs> being able to watch all the way through to episode 13. Derek uh, crushes I, your dreams. <laughs> and also the get-together. <laughs> the hogmanay of, uh, of podcasts. <laughs> okay. I, I think we're just saying random words at the moment. I have no idea what's going on. Chris, yes. <laughs> save us from this. So, guys, okay, we have to ask. Regrets only. Episode six, what did you think? Uh, I've got loads of regrets. Yes. Oh, sorry, wrong podcast. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, different. Again, it the pace came down, and I think it really explored the relationships, actually, here. Um you know, without giving too much away as to some of my points, it kind of felt for Foggy a bit in this episode. Um, mm. he, he felt like he was being undermined left, right and center actually by his, uh, colleagues. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it just felt, I, I kind of felt for Foggy in this episode. Yeah. He's still loyal to a fault, you know, um, he's willing to go and, and uh, be, and deal with Frank Castle despite every sort of bone or sinew in his body saying, this is going to destroy us, um, you know, and knowing what uh, Matt went through. So, like, I thought it was an interesting episode, actually, just purely from that perspective. And then the other was, I just loved Electra in this. I thought mm-hmm. she was really good fun. Um, I really liked her character in this the goading of matt again i'm i'll be giving away too many of my points to really elaborate on it further but i just really liked electra in this i thought she was good fun yeah and and for me i really liked daredevil goes bond it was great it's great fun seeing uh seeing daredevil with a hot woman on his on his uh on his arm dressed in his dressed in his tux and uh and getting the key card and all that kind of stuff that was quite cool seeing a very different uh side of it. it's kind of it's almost daredevil goes agents of shield should i should i say uh for i was the same taking this episode for me kind of took a well-deserved break from the kind of onslaught that we've seen so far of the action kind of uh, aside from the skirmish at the front and the the towards the end, uh, besting when kind of Matt and Electra bested the naughty Kusa, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it for me, we 
castle story back in in a nice way, not in a mm-hmm. thud. And they're setting up the um, penalty sinking, ass covering Reyes, like as our big bad, and obviously not our big bad, but one mm-hmm. of our big bads. Absolutely. Yeah, but as you said, Chris, kind of the big bad for Nelson and Murdoch, uh, as opposed to the, the supervillain big bad. Yes, but again, I, I I want to be proven wrong on this. Like, I, I think yeah. that would be cool if, if they gave her some impenetrable skin, have her <laughs> marauding through Manhattan, destroying Hell's Kitchen brick by brick. It'd be great. I think I think coming into civil war, I think a diplomat or a uh, or a public servant is definitely one of the villains of all of the Marvel characters coming into civil war. Yes, exactly. Anyway, let's crack yeah. on because we've got a lot of points and we all want to tell them. So, Derek, can you please elaborate on who beautifully scripted and directed and produced this episode? Uh-huh. Uh, well, this episode was directed by Andy Goddard. Uh, Andy Goddard did uh, about six episodes of Miracle Day, Torchwood's um, big, one of their big season arc. Excellent, excellent stuff. Yeah, that was um, cool. Uh, I think he probably got that job because he also did The Next Doctor, the Doctor Who episode with uh, with the wonderful David Morrissey, who most people know as the governor from uh, Walking Dead. So he also directed that episode. Um, and he's also directed five episodes of Denton Abbey. Okay. <laughs> for, those, for, for people who have different faces. Yes. <laughs> the team crumpets, that's where we got this. This is why it was oh a black tie. Oh, gusset's just fallen down. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And actually, much more importantly, he will also be directing episode seven of Luke Cage season one. So our first announced director of Luke Cage, as far as I know. Oh, um, my gussets have just fallen down. <laughs> on, on your unbreakable skin. A few more abs with a, I don't know, a chisel and a hammer maybe this time, rather than a rotary saw. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Or a wrecking ball going straight into it. And it's like... But that's the director, so that's Andy Goddard. So it gets from it comes from a very good stock, I suppose. Um, being being a, a Denton Abbey director, I hasten to add, no relation of uh, Drew Goddard. No, no connection at all. Now Drew Goddard uh, is American, and Andy is British. So uh, I'm guessing there's no connection between the two. Um, but and certainly not an in-law of Stephen Denise. No, no, certainly not. Certainly not. Uh, the episode itself was written by uh, Sneha Kors, um, who worked on The Americans for. Uh, about 13 episodes, a great show, uh, definitely worth checking out, and also did a ton of work on uh, Constantine. She was one of the members of the writer's room for the TV show Constantine, uh, was senior script editor for about four episodes, and wrote the uh, final episode and I think the episode three, I think it was, of that season, so has worked in comic books and done a, done a great job over on Constantine, the unfortunately cancelled Constantine. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's funny, we only just talked about that on our Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice uh, podcast, uh, yeah, which we did on GothamTVPodcast.com earlier today, which if you're interested, you can find at GothamTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Or any other good podcast catch. <laughs> and on that note, almost like it was a perfect segue. John, can you tell us where people can hear our dulcet sounds every week? Yeah, of course. It's on DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes. And you can uh, review and subscribe to our podcast there. You can also uh, check us out on any other good uh, Sith or Jedi podcast. Um, just search Defenders TV podcast, uh, such as Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, or 
Beyond Pod. Just search for Defenders TV podcast there. And of course, if you have any feedback or comments on uh, this second season of Daredevil and any of the other Marvel Netflix shows that have been or are going to be released, if you've got any thoughts on Finn Jones and his uh, yin and yang balance of of the force with regards to uh, meditating versus martial arts that he seems to be doing at the moment, then um, you can send them into feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or you can follow us and join our groups on Facebook. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash DefendersTVPodcast. John, are you good to give us a synopsis of this episode? I certainly am. After the Yakuza attack on Nacho's penthouse, a hungry Electra persuades a reluctant Matt Murdock to continue to help her with her rocks on dealings, on the condition from Matt that she leaves his city for good once her business is complete. At the same time, others in Hell's Kitchen also need persuading. A very, very reluctant Foggy Nelson ultimately agrees to risk the firm, and most likely their safety, after Matt and Karen Page want to become Frank Castle's defenders. After meeting Castle's hapless public defence attorney appointed by D.A. Reyes, the advocates at law now more than ever want to ensure that justice is done in the Punisher case. However, Matt's involvement in the case is cut short when Electra asks him to a party in order to steal a valuable ledger housed on the 13th floor of the Roxham building. Infiltrating into the party, they retrieve the ledger and narrowly escape the building just before a lethal foe returns with a vengeance to New York City. Whilst their adversary is yet to show their hand, Matt, unaware of this danger, is informed of the imminent start of the case, The People versus Frank Castle. Starts next week. With all the Roxanne mentions in there, I think I thought we were back in Agent Carter. Exactly. And a 13th floor of a tall building. Not very often do you find a 13th floor. Very true, very true. So if this is your first time joining us, the way we cover our episodes is we talk about our top five points, some good, some bad about the episode, have a few notes to discuss, and then as we get to the end, we decide whether we defend the episode or not. Um, Chris, do you want to kick us off with your first point? I definitely do, because I want to jump straight into this, and uh, some of our fellow listeners who have been with us for a couple of seasons know I'm typically the, um, the, the villain of the group, kind of saying <laughs> I don't like certain things, or I get annoyed. Um or that they're just tropes. Or there's a lot of tropes. Yeah, exactly. My God, writers probably look at me and listen and go, what the hell? How does he know? <laughs> it's like, oh, but though, if any of our listeners are writers and potentially writers for any of these shows, please email feedback and go, yeah, I throw in a trope, find trope number one, two, and three, and I will actually give you minute Easter eggs. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so for me, I wanted to talk about this one because regrets only was perhaps this one, I call it the lightest episodes so far. Um, in that we've had a, every other episode was kind of very jam filled, kind of chock, chock a block of story here, story here, story here. And this we've only had really two stories. You mm-hmm. literally had the Electra and Matt's story and then the Castle story. And I was wondering how they were going to kind of tie Frank back in without without kind of destroying what they had built in those first four episodes, because it was like they made a character 
really human at the end of the fourth episode. And if it was just mm-hmm. going to be this character, uh, it was like they were just going to go, okay, he's going to go to jail, blah, blah, blah. Having Nelson and Murdoch client being Frank Castle, they've actually gone back and humanized him even further. Like, mm-hmm. in other words, like, Karen, she's not a lawyer, so why did they leave her in the room there? Well, that's a different kind of question. But I think where my brain is with this one is that that scene where you had Matt, uh, Karen, and Foggy in the mm-hmm. room in the office, and where Matt wanted to help Frank avoid the death penalty, and then having Matt and Karen talk, talking Fog, Foggy into the plan was fantastic. It mm-hmm. was like, it was a great way of showing why I was, I couldn't figure out why they would like want to represent Castle. Castle's a mass murderer. Let's be mm-hmm. honest here. 30, 37 counts of murder. Yeah, it was 37, so. 88 <laughs> counts of, uh, what was it, violence? Serious assault. Serious assault. Yeah. yeah, I was like, like, and there he is, but like, it was a great way to say, okay, well, look, yes, he is a murderer, but he doesn't deserve death because Matt knows everything he went through from that big, huge monologue at the end of episode four. And then Karen's yeah. doing the whole, he had a wife, he had a family, um, kind of pieces like, he's not a really a bad guy. Well, he is a bad guy. He's killed so many people. Let's be frankly Absolutely. honest about it. And they are, and they are very clear about it on the show. It is definitely one of my points as well, because obviously this is one of the central storylines, you know, for for the episode. Um, they they do make it absolutely clear that they're not trying to get him off. They're they're definitely not trying to release him on the streets. The whole point is, and Matt says it very clearly to uh to um to Brett Mahoney, who's got his who's got his little upgrade to Detective Sergeant Mahoney, which is uh where I got a little bit confused with his name there. But he says it directly to him. He says, if we walk away from this, knowing what we know. If we walk away from this, nobody else is standing up to take the place. Frank Castle is dead. We are basically killing Frank Castle. And Matt's whole theory, his whole point about life, which he talked to Frank Castle about on the roof while dressed as Daredevil, is he doesn't believe that anybody should die. Nobody should die for 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 any, uh, no matter how bad they are, they should be given another chance. So, yeah, I really like how they took that into the Matt Murdock side, as he is a lawyer, he is a public defender, effectively. So or his, he is going to be defending Frank Castle here because he can't let anybody die, especially if he knows a way to get them off. Yes, exactly. And I, I think that was one of the bits that it took me a second to get into it and kind of understand. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, I was like, you, you're good. You're Nelson and Murdoch. You defend the, the, the righteous who are being downtrodden. And I was like, well, why are you defending a, a mass murderer? And then I think, yeah, it slowly came more and more. But then the bit that I think is going to come back to bite it in the ass is the fact that Matt's not defending. It's fucking Karen. They're doing all the work. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I Like, I, I think at the end of the day, the Punisher is an anti-hero. He, he is supposed to split opinion uh, as, uh, you know, as, as you read a comic or as you should watch um, this this episode or this show mm-hmm. um he is a killer and he has a very different way of going about to an extent the same kind of goals that that uh, daredevil has you know and he's a killer i think the thing is though um like it kind of comes to one of my points as well so i'm gonna throw it in you know i did feel sorry for foggy here i i think Matt is there giving out 
these moral kind of speeches about, well, we don't want to see anyone get killed or whatever. But he works in a legal system, which in the US, some states have got, not New York, presumably, mm-hmm. given what they're saying in the show, but some states have the death penalty, for better or for worse, for right or for wrong. He knows that. Um, to start having this kind of conversation, I think is strange. I mean, I kind of understood where Foggy was coming from here. You know, he says, this has the potential to um, put everything on the line. Our safety and Nelson and Murdoch, not just because of Frank Castle, mm-hmm. but because he's being tried by Reyes. There's, there's no mass rush of, of people coming through the doors following the Grotto thing and following mm-hmm. Reyes trying to really destroy this firm or at least put pressure on it. And I mean, you know, you then also have the personal side of it. Well, he tried to kill you, you know, a shot to the head. Mm-hmm. You fought with him. He tied you tied in chains uh, on the top of a, a roof. Um, but having said that, it's, it stands to Foggy that he is persuaded by, and it stands to Karen and Matt, that they persuade him. But I think his loyalty to them and what they want to do sometimes consumes maybe the fact that he might be right. <laughs> this might have significant consequences for Nelson and Murdoch, and, it, and maybe it should, because Frank Castle, the Punisher, isn't a simple superhero, or he's debatable as to whether he's a hero. So, yes, he may have the same aim, but he goes about it through murder and yeah. killing, uh, unlike Daredevil, and that's where these characters are so cool and so great is because they pull you so many different ways as to your rational self goes, well, no, stay away from it. And then you kind of go, your rational self also says, but no, well, he is trying to do the same thing as Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And then your rational self goes, but he's doing it in a, like a way that, well, you can't accept that or you wouldn't normally. And, and so all of a sudden it's all these, Things. And I think Foggy really summed that up really well in this episode. Um, and I like the fact that right at the end, he's in Matt's apartment and he just says to him, well, I hope you've got a clear schedule because so far, you know, you've done nothing was the subtext. Yeah. Yeah. And the case is next week. Reyes has brought it right forward and our client has accepted it. And in fact, our client has been the most unhelpful client because he's gone from a guilty plea to a non-guilty, not guilty plea. So I, it was really good. I I thought this dynamic between Foggy and Matt was cool. Mm-hmm. I really felt that Foggy... I, I was quite a sympathetic character in this episode. Um, and I just wonder whether that tension between Foggy and Matt, which was there in season one possibly opens up again mm-hmm. completely and i i exact that's one i want to see i, I want to see because at the moment foggy is like i know you're jumping around rooftops at night getting beating up left right and center and still trying to run this business and you're not really no he yeah. he didn't even he hasn't yet to, so he's they cashed the check there's money in the bank and he's yet to go oh by the way foggy i have a new client and it's electric and it's yeah. like, if he did that, he'd be like, okay, I have a new client, it's all good. Yeah, but I don't think he wants to tell Foggy yeah. 
who the client is because I think Foggy knows yes. that who Electra is and what Electra did to to Matt last time. Not the uh, not the intricacies of it, but I would presume he knows the uh, the relationship side of it. So maybe he doesn't want to tell uh, doesn't want to tell Foggy that detail. Oh, she's back in town. Mm. Oh, and she's she's the one bankrolling us. Mm. Mm. Not great. And she's the one pulling you away from doing all your work for the actual firm. Oh, okay. Uh, that would probably push them uh, even further away from each other. One that I just want to kind of to close this point down, and I just want to leave it as a hanging question, is Missy and Reyes, why is she attempting to cover everything up? So we know, the only bit that we know is that she's running for mayor. There's, there, I think there's more to this story. Like it's she's going hell for leather against this. So either Certainly. she's corrupt, in other words, she's maybe like maybe dogs of hell, Han, the Yakuza, something, and mm-hmm. they're out now to get Castle. Um, or there's something else. I she's a kind yeah. of a a Wilson F- Vanessa Fisk kind of uh. She's working for her, something like that. I don't know, but there's something there. Yeah, I, I, know, I know you said it was going to be a hanging question, but that's not what yeah. we're podcast. We'll, we'll absolutely talk about it. Um, my, my thoughts on it, um, there is somebody behind Reyes. Uh, there's definitely the, the way it's being presented is that she's running for mayor, so she wants to leave a very clean trail on this final case of the vigilante of New York being captured and thrown into prison. Wants to leave the trail very clean. Um, but then when you couple that into the fact that uh, it was before he became a vigilante that she was involved. So, um, so when, when Frank gets the bullet in the head and is sent to hospital when his kids and, and wife are killed, um, it, there's the a do not resuscitate order signed by Reyes at that time before he's actually a vigilante. Um, so there's something much bigger there. Somebody else wants Frank dead or Frank out of the picture. So, uh, you may be right on Vanessa. You may, we may be right on our other speculation that it is something to do with the same crew that were uh, involved in Jessica Jones and in the creation of Nuke for Je- in the Jessica Jones series. There may be some connection between those two. Um, but yeah, that's that's I, I totally agree with you that there is something different about Reyes. Uh, I don't think it's just as plain as she's running for mayor. The men in suits, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Could be. Yeah. Like this is one of my points actually as well. Um, so I might as well get yeah. a second Go one. Go for in. it. Jump right in. Um, like Frank refers to her as the witch. I'm, I'll take you down, witch, um, along with the others. It's like he has an inkling, maybe that he knows who she could be working for, mm. or who maybe consciously or unconsciously is is abetting, uh, aiding and abetting here. I also like the fact that he says, "I'll take you down, witch. I'll see you burn," as in burn witch. Which no, just, absolutely. Nice line from and the other thing, and. I'm sure this is just absolute wild speculation on my behalf, but um I love the fact that he called her the you know witch that speaks of magic. I suddenly wondered whether maybe she wasn't as earthly as as she could be. That you know you have this notion with Iron Fist of, and it's not. I know it's not, <laughs> uh, but my mind started wandering of you know um, Madame Gao and all this that you can have shape shifting and and form changing oh, wow. type of people. Interesting. I I kind of wondered whether she was at, somehow involved with sort of more the um, sort of the Yakuza or the Hand or you know that side of of the equation. I don't think it is at all, but I just thought because he referenced her as a witch, 
I know that can be metaphorical. It can be literal, mm-hmm. and it's more it than likely be to be absolutely metaphorical, or that they may not be able to use the bee. <laughs> yeah, but um, I just kind of thought, wouldn't it be cool if really she is um, much more involved with um, sort of the the Madame Gao elements and those uh, Eastern elements that are so becoming ever present in New York now? Um, I love with- that idea. I love it. I thought it would be quite cool, but it's not going to be. I'm absolutely that sure cool. of that. But I hope she's still legal. I think if she's not that, I do want her to kind of be almost an unwilling party to it, or that, like, you know, as DA, she signed the DNR, not because she was in absolute cahoots with the people in suits, but that she was being told to by a lawyer, uh, you know, on behalf of maybe the people who had done, however the story had been spun. Maybe she's totally unaware of maybe all these other different threads or that, you know, her focus is on office, purely on office. Yeah, yeah. And she has a, a singular kind of dislike for this vigilante superhero thing, which, you know, knowing what happens to New York, she ha- that's her city as much as it is Matt's. And she may, her way to deal with that is to make sure she puts as many of them behind bars or like we discussed in the last episode um that she is absolutely pro-registration and goes after those that aren't mm-hmm. like so either of those two i think are, are really oh, cool, cool kind of possibilities for for rares but i suspect she's just an out and out baddie yeah but I, I still i still definitely think something here is playing in with the registration act yeah yeah, no, I agree. I, I think they've set it up too well. And I think as much as we love speculating, I'm kind of going, I definitely think there's uh, some of these are going to be red herrings yeah. in that they purposely have put them in to make you go, ah, gotcha. You thought that was that. It's not. Um, but I don't know. I think after a while, I think after Civil War happens, they're, they've said there's very little fallout or there will be some insignificant fallout in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and some of the others. But mm-hmm. we know Luke... But they, they've alluded to it, if we want to say that, not said. Um, so I think what will happen is we'll find out that Luke Cage happens after Civil War because he's being pursued by the police and it turns out that that will be probably Registration Act has come into effect... You need to be registered. No, I don't. I'm not a vigilante. Blah blah blah. And then that's why he's being chased and put in prison, etc., etc. Mm, so I think yeah. this is actually the Captain America Winter Soldier again, in that they're putting it down like line is drawn here. Mm-hmm. That this is the end of Phase Three, beginning of Phase Four. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I see what you mean. And obviously, everything that happens in this show took place the day it was released on the 18th of March, you know, so yeah. um, because we watch it every week, that's one of the interesting things, obviously. And I know our listeners really enjoy our speculation, but most of them do know uh, what happens. And I'm presuming there's no huge tie in to civil war within the, re- the next seven episodes of the show, because there can't be, because the movie won't be out until well, uh, effectively they, two months after the show was released. So <laughs> I say there is, it's just, we don't know it yet. Yeah, so yeah, when they, she will see Captain America and we'll go, Oh, that makes sense. Then. Um, so these hanging points. But let's jump on to our next point. Derek, have you got one? I do, and we should have started with it uh, because it was our big end point last week was the cliffhanger that we got uh, for 15 seconds or for us an entire week waiting for the fight sequence uh, between Elektra and Daredevil 
and the visiting Yakuza. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved the sequence. I hadn't really watched it in too much de- depth in the previews. I'd only seen the little clips that were in the, uh, that were in the trailer. Uh, I loved this fight sequence. It felt like something absolutely out of a Japanese movie, uh, out of some of my, my favorite, um, favorite action films, I, I suppose, I've, that I've seen in, in years. Uh, effectively, it's short enough. It's not, it's not, it doesn't overstay its welcome for me, but I like that it opens up with the really confident Yakuza, maybe, maybe not, um, walking into the apartment of Electra and Daredevil is hanging out in the shadows, uh, swings down, starts the fight. Electra comes in from another hidden spot behind and the two of them go into this great battle where they're, um, where they're swapping fighting partners. Uh, and there's a great moment where you have a guy just sitting out the fight, uh, waiting for his moment to pounce. Um, Always really cool. Just feel, felt like a really good martial arts fight se- sequence, I thought. Uh, and it all ends with everybody lying on the floor, uh, Electra giving a kick off screen and a guy's body falling to the ground from behind a hidden, a hidden war, a hidden closet or a hidden uh, cupboard. Uh, loved the scene, thought it was really well paced. And again, first time we've really seen Elodie Young's uh, fighting style. She's, uh, she's a well-trained martial artist. Uh, herself so you know she did a lot of these scenes herself and yeah i thought it was really well paced and really well done uh it was a pity we didn't get it at the end of episode five where we all wanted it but it was nice to have it at the start of this episode since we didn't have any real other big fight sequences throughout the rest of the episode yeah it's actually what is one of my points too um although did you i don't know if this was intentional but if you think about that fight scene and the fight scene on floor 13 Mm -hmm. in the building were both silhouetted so in the first one, they were pretty silhouetted against the window in the background mm-hmm. of this night, so they were darkened. And then, obviously, they were behind the, the glass in the scene where it was just... I just thought it was a nice touch. Yeah, the one on, floor, a, on floor 13 really reminded me of uh, of the Kill Bill moment, which was in reference to Day of the Dead, I believe, or Dawn of the Dead. Um the, the, the behind glass sequence where it's kind of shadow boxing almost. Uh, yes. <laughs> between, between the... Uh, the, all the characters against each other where you can't really tell who's winning and who isn't. And then you kind of see, oh, well, okay, well, there's two characters still standing. So it must be Electro and Matt. Uh, you know, um, really liked the scene, thought it was really well shot. And again, they're really up in the ante this season. They're really showing, uh, they can do different styles of fight sequences every episode. You know, we did get our, our huge, uh, fight sequence in episode two, but, um, but they're really showing very different stuff. You know, there's some brawling, there's some, um, there's some, karate there's some weapons uh, that are used in in each fight but now that you've got two martial artists for, versus five martial artists at the start of this episode and towards the end again when they're fighting the yakuza in uh, in the the Roxxon building um they're much more martial arts scenes and do remind me of a lot more uh, a lot more japanese and, and uh, asian martial arts films i think you're right there saying the different styles because what i liked was yeah they both jumped from the ceiling mm-hmm. in the beginning and I was like, oh, that's Daredevil for me. Yeah. He's kind of like just hanging there. And I think he did this almost backflippy type thing onto them. I was like, yeah. He's like, because we haven't, the only thing I feel we haven't seen too much of, which obviously is because it's more comic book than reality, mm-hmm. is the actual Daredevil like swing, running up to a pole, swinging around it, and then kicking someone with his two feet into right. the chest or something. Something a bit more acrobatic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because he's a bit more of a brawler at the moment. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but now that we've slowly introduced the billy clubs, he's using them to great effect. I know. I, li- I like the billy clubs versus nunchucks that we see in, in one of the scenes here. I thought that was pretty cool seeing, uh, seeing the use of nunchucks and anything just always, <laughs> it always gets me a bit giddy, to be honest. Everything's better with ninjas, as we've said before. So, uh, <laughs> so these guys from the Yakuza are, aren't ninjas, but they do battle like, uh, like trained martial artists in this, in this scene. No, I love the strobe light, uh, and silhouette fight. I thought, uh, Electra did a mean clothesline, mm-hmm. uh, really, seem to take that guy out and definitely love that um i love the fact that um then at the fight at the start uh you know as they all come running in the yakuza that they do say as they go into the building um we'll bring all 10 fingers uh, and that obviously uh sort of references the the guy behind the desk on floor 13 with his little samurai with the little box of cigars so mm-hmm. to speak um the <laughs> as unfortunately poor old stan gibson has stood there wean his pants because um you know he's he's just an accountant mm-hmm. um and then, of course, um, the the guy behind the desk utters the uh, immortal words, which we are probably come to in another point. So I won't mm-hmm. just say them here just yet. Obviously, has implications for for maybe why they're bringing fingers, and fingers are a thread <laughs> here. Um, but uh, I also thought that this might actually be the episode where we think Naboo comes back to life. I, I actually thought there was going to be an element of that when I realised that there's going to be. It was going to be heavy on the Yakuza. So I thought that was really, um, really good. I think on the fight at the start in the apartment, I loved how one of the Yakuza was nonchalantly sort yeah. of resting up on the counter, sort of probably trying to avoid the fight, thinking that like his other buddies were going to actually uh, wipe the floor with these guys and he wouldn't have to do anything and then has to sort of come into action. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really just nicely cool, actually. Absolutely. Like the, the only discussion that they have before they go into the, into the apartment itself, into, into Electra's par- apartment is, and when we're done with them, we'll take all 10 of their fingers. You know, it's not. And what you need to do is you need to take out her, um, first or you need to make sure or check upstairs and you go to the left and I'll go to the right. It's not a, it's not a tactical mission. There's only confidence that they're going to win this battle with this woman who's, who's a hacker, basically. They didn't expect to be fighting with, uh, with Electronasios and, uh, and Daredevil. So, uh, yeah, I really like that moment. Definitely. Yeah. Chris, what's your next point? I'm going to talk about loyalties because I think this is a nice kind of piece. Um, Okay, well, we have the fact that Matt did, didn't stick around to question the Punisher. Mm-hmm. That was the defining point for me, where it's he's showing that his loyalties are divided. Yeah. And I can't wait to see that they're going to kind of do that kind of piece around your his life as Daredevil versus his life as Matt Murdock. Mm-hmm. The kind of the curse of any superhero with a secret identity. And it's kind of like, okay, you must choose. Is there a way he can be both? I think that's where Father Lomptum is going to come back in. Um, so we're going it, to... It's always a good story that's going to come back in and rear its ugly head. Mm-hmm. Because he's now... He's got like three three different priorities. He's still trying to patrol and take out and look after Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. He's now helping Electra chase Roxon out of Hell's Kitchen. And he's got... The law um, firm. The law firm. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, he's got four, and he's now got his new girlfriend. Yeah, he's got Karen. So, like, 
I like. I'm pretty sure at some point they're gonna do an episode around that. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I I thought I wasn't going to like it or want to see it because it's very typical. Like you've had Batman have to do it. You've had Superman have to do it. Absolutely. You've had like Peter Parker. When like we've seen them all, kind of like I'm gonna go out and tell the truth. And then so what I actually ultimately think may happen in this season is that he'll get unmasked as Matt Murdock. Interesting. And then oh, season three would be... At Riker's Island. Yeah, or kind of them trying to prove that he's not, mm-hmm. that Matt Murdock was not actually Daredevil. So you'll have... Because don't forget, we've got people establishing. So this is how they could introduce the Iron Fist character. Yeah, this could be the great Ed Brubacker storyline yeah. of... Um, him being in prison with Wilson Fisk mm-hmm. at Rikers Island, um, the Iron Fist having to essentially be body double for him. It could be a nice way of um, introducing uh, Iron Fist before his own standalone as well, that he's yep. the one helping him. Mm. Um, because even, I think, Matt Murdock doesn't know who the person is who's helping him. That's right. It could be a really nice way of, of linking in in the definitely. Yeah, because what we're going to have probably then is we'll have this season will finish, then we're going to have Luke Cage, then we'll probably have, either ha- we'll probably have an, another season of uh, well, Jessica Jones, yeah. and then another one of Daredevil, and then Iron Fist. Mm. So that one of Daredevil is the probably, as you said, the Brubach one where at the end of that season, they in- pulls off the mask and it's uh, Finn Jones. And then it's like, oh, so right now you've just all met Finn Jones, see him in his own TV show, blah, blah, blah. Interesting. I just thought it would be, it, it's, and I know it said it's a trope and it's a standard fallback, but it's actually a good story. Yeah. This story of potentially his, he has to choose to be Daredevil or he has to choose to be Matt Murdock. He mm-hmm. can't be both. And he can't be both while still having, being Marin. Because uh, yes, Karen <laughs> and Matt. Yeah, Marin. Um, <laughs> But it's also his destructive side in itself in that, you know, he knows he he can't be anywhere near Electra, yet she provides him with something that Karen can't, which is she can go out with him on a on a Daredevil mission. Mm-hmm. And and like Karen is still unwa- unaware of the, Matt being Daredevil. OK, Foggy knows, but Electra does know, you know, yeah. um, and he could have a relationship with her if he didn't find her so abhorrent in the sense of her <laughs> lust for, for violence. Yeah. But I, this episode, despite all his protestations about not wanting to, to see, see her and do all that, he still, as you say, that loyalty element where he leaves the hospital and goes at the beck and call of the driver sent, mm. that seems to me to suggest she's got a lot of money. Uh, in his, in the bank account, which Foggy seems to not really know anything about. Again, a loyalty question of why isn't Matt telling him? He knows about the money, but he doesn't know about the, uh, about who's the source of it. Matt hasn't told him who's the source of it because he yeah. keeps saying to him, it's my client, you know, the client that paid us that kind of money. And if she calls, I have to go. But as a partner, but, yeah. you would still, like, what I mean totally is agree, there's yeah. way too much being kept from Foggy here by Matt mm-hmm. for him to then just suddenly up and leave on a client that he persuaded him to go 
and and defend yeah. to leave that in the hands of him and essentially their assistant because that's the other thing Karen is not a lawyer I found it a bit odd I have to say that she would be allowed to be in a room on her own with him given all the police security mm-hmm. yeah. and all of that that seemed a bit strange that he was able to call the shots that uh, just would not be allowed I'd certainly agree with you that that's probably mostly to do with the fact that it's foggy um, and that he was left with the choice of either pulling Karen out of the room or letting her do what she did. Uh, Karen has that kind of hold over Foggy still that she tells yeah. him what she wants and Foggy will let her do it. If it was Matt in that room and and, and uh, Frank had said, I want to talk to you and you alone, Matt would certainly not have let her do that. Um, and they wouldn't be in the situation that they're in. And that's kind of Foggy's point at the end of the episode, isn't it? That um, he's saying to Matt, because you weren't there and because you left it to me, look what's happened. Uh, yeah. If you were there, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have let Karen talk to him and Karen talked him into pleading not guilty to these, yeah. to these crimes. You know? Why are you fancy? But yeah. <laughs> I love that expression. He goes, why are you dressed all fancy? Why are you dressed all fancy? <laughs> and speaking of that, a whole discussion with, uh, with Karen and Frank, I think that's a great scene. Uh, and uh, Karen's discussion with Frank adding another extra kind of layer on top of, uh, the story that Frank told to, to Matt back in the, uh, in the cemetery in episode four. Um, really enjoyed this because it's, it's kind of gives that extra depth again without showing anything. We're still not getting kind of flashbacks to what happened. We're still getting a, being told as a story. And what we find out in here, which I thought was really interesting, is Frank doesn't remember a lot of what happened to him. Um, and he wants Karen to keep reigniting the memories for him. He's he's only getting glimpses of what had happened to his family and the day that, that preceded it and what happened, how they met up, what happened afterwards. He's only getting little glimpses of that. And, though, and, and the discussion that Karen's having with him is helping to ignite those memories back in him, probably because of the bullet to the head. Obviously, that's why it's a little <laughs> bit of his memories. Um, but I do like that there's that there's this connection between the two characters. And I think um, Deborah Ann Wall is playing a really good part here where she is absolutely terrified of him and terrified of getting very close to him. And he is very comforting with her. He is justifying some of the things he did. I like that we learned that he was a, sna- a, a scout sniper in the army where he's saying that effectively, yeah, okay, I did kill those people, but they were all bad people. I don't kill good people. And I am, I'm telling you, I am trained well enough not to kill anybody else. There's nobody else that's in the crosshairs that, that could get killed because that's my whole job is to make sure they don't die. Um, I like this justification of Frank Castle's Punisher um, that he does in the conversation with uh, with Karen. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, I think it speaks to earlier saying, you know, he's a complex anti-hero. He's not a superhero. He's not a hero. Mm. He's really complex. You know, it's the, the, the means to the end is the thing that makes him so complex because he ultimately uses what he thinks is the language that the mobsters only understand, which is violence. Yep. And that generally is something that most people kind of will go, will shy away from. Yeah. I, like I love that because it speaks to that. I, I, I like the, the fact that a bit more of his, his past came out with regards to, yeah, the Quantico, um, saying, you know, one shot, one kill. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that, you know, he's like, yes, ma'am, kind of, he, he's just this, this kind of army politeness comes mm-hmm. into his way of speaking with Karen, um, and thinks that, you know, 
right now you can ask me the questions that you want to. He's kind of gotten enough. Yeah. Uh, but still, and the what's behind Frank's reasoning where he promises them one thing and then does the absolute opposite in front. I mean, you, um, you just see Foggy's despair. You, you can see the, 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 the fright that he gets when he says, I'm pleading not guilty. Yeah. Like all the things that he's warned uh, Karen and Matt about just seem to be like rushing towards him, mm-hmm. like on, in an unstoppable train. And he's like totally, totally like afraid of what's going to happen. Oh, total, absolutely. And w- once again, you know, we mentioned to Chris when we were doing our episode four podcast about John Bernthal doing his monologue and how amazing he was in that scene. Uh, this scene here with Karen, I think he's equally good. Um, yeah. in his reactions yeah, to what definitely. she's saying. I think when we watch the episode, there's one moment where Karen says to him, she's trying to describe the house. He's asking questions about the kitchen, where the dishes put away. He's trying to get a sense of what his family were doing before they went to meet him in the park is what it seems like. Uh, and then Karen offers up information to him without being asked. She says, I was up in your children's bedroom. And there's a really pained expression that John Bernthal gets in his face. And it's really, it's, it just twitches across his face for a second. But it's this moment of, I don't want to know this because I didn't ask you about my kids' bedrooms because that's too painful for me. And it's so well acted. It's just a really quick flinch of it. But you can tell, you know, he obviously has kids himself as well. You know, you can tell he's really pull, pulling those kind of details from his from his past and putting them on the screen. Uh, the pain of Frank Castle, the idea that if he has to think back of everything about what, what his kids were like, he has to live through the fact that they're gone now, you know, um, really good and a really good extra, as you say, extra details behind the Frank Castle character. Uh, I love John Bernthal in this, in this season. He's been, he's been so good. Yeah. And I really think he deserves some kind of award for this. And mm-hmm. I'm I, like, I really, if they don't try and put him up for some type of kind of, I, I was going to say SAG award or Emmy or something like that, mm-hmm. then, then there's probably a travesty because Yes, it is a comic book. This is a comic book show, but that's on Downton Abbey level, kind of. <laughs> that is Downton Abbey level. So maybe it's actually of. the director. It's not John Bernthal at all. Maybe yeah, the director yeah. got yeah. the performance out. <laughs> no, no, definitely John Bernthal. Yeah, in, instead of thank you, ma'am, he did say, thank you, milady. <laughs> um, one bit I was kind of questioning was the, the Quantico piece. Mm-hmm. Isn't Quantico FBI? Nope. It Langley is FBI. That's right. So what's Quantico? Quantico I think is Quantico CIA? is CIA, actually, but it's also special ops. Ah, right. Okay. Because that was, I was curious about Because I was like, it wasn't Army. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so there is, that was a drop in terms of some part of his past. Yeah. That will come yeah. back. Definitely. So potentially the nuke stories or something like that, more military, potentially CIA. Yeah. yeah. Like that does yeah. feel like the best fit here is the nuke aspects from jessica jones in with the punisher mm-hmm. uh, and that would be quite a nice little connection Wouldn't it? definitely yeah, yeah. yeah bullet to the brain people he's That's still cool. up and walking with a bullet to the brain he's a zombie <laughs> <laughs> from, zombie. from walking no, dead job. to almost dead on that zombie connection <laughs> john do you want to give us your next point yeah i'm going in a completely different direction now and that is the two ass reference um <laughs> from electra um, you can't mask that ass. Absolutely not, young uh, Charlie Cox. Loved um, her reference to the fact that she knew Daredevil was him 
because of his ass. Mm -hmm. Um, And she goes, you've been working out, by the way. Thanks for that as well. Like, just, (laughs) I love this. And it can, it it does connect into one of my other points, but I'm just going to keep it on the ass for for the moment. Um, I love the fact that, um, she is just being so flippant with, with Matt. I think he needs that. He needs that in his life. There's too many people that are really putting him on a pedestal. And I like the fact that she doesn't. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that she knows, she knows his strengths, his weaknesses. She knows their history together. Um, and she, she's clued into his rhythms. And I, I like that. You really get that sense. Um, and then you, you've got at the party where she goes, um, I only came to the party to get my ass kissed. And you have the, 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 the guy go, well, let me be the first if it hasn't already been, uh, kissed, mm-hmm. uh, to kiss your ass. And it's just, she's fun. Like, Certainly. she's fun. She's raunchy. She's, um, she's sexy and she spots a good ass in a, in a scarlet sort of blood red. Superhero suits. And when she stri- she ripped her when she they were hiding in the room, mm-hmm. she rips her dress so she can get a, more of a kick out. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a, just a great show of leg. I understand was. why they did it, but it was a great show of leg. It certainly was. It certainly was. Uh, yeah, John, I, I love the playfulness between these two characters. Um, she's definitely bringing the fun. Uh, she really doesn't, couldn't give a damn what Matt thinks of her or what anybody else thinks of her for that matter. She's got the money to do whatever the hell she wants. Um, which, which is the kind of the, what, what Matt's trying to throw back in her face where he's kind of going, and I want you to get on a flight, get out of the city as quickly as possible, go back to whatever five-star hotel or spa that you came from and she's kind of looking at him going well yeah that's all great stuff but i also want to do this you know it's kind of this is why i want to spend my week in between two five-star vacations you know um really good fun particularly in this episode really enjoyed having her having her presence along with matt yeah big time i like i just loved it um so much just her her playfulness it was really nice chris what's your next point uh i'm gonna bring up the one that that came at the end, and we all we all have in our notes. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure about with that one line. Who said I was Yakuza? I know. I'm like the hand are being tapped. Yeah, hand has arrived. I literally wanted to start jazz dancing like the hand, hand here go. Uh, the jazz hands have yeah, arrived. The jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were the Yakuza thugs of. Or they were thugs, but they were not our one and only killer ninjas. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yes, if he if he is what he meant by that, or if this was just another, we're going to bring you over to the next episode by making you think that this is the hand. Um, but uh, I'm hoping this means, okay, yes, this is the hand. They are part of Roxen, um, or the, the Japanese arm of Roxen, mm-hmm. and that this is means we're going to get our killer ninja action in the next episode. It, yeah, that was de- it was definitely really interesting that it was the guard on the door that shot two of the security guards that, that brought Stan Gibson, the accountant, into the office. It's the it's the security guards in this central office that shot those two security guards, I guess. Uh, and they're there for the announcement that whoever said that we're Yakuza. Um, so not everybody in the building is part of this other group that isn't the Yakuza, I suppose. Um, they're, they're probably part of Roxxon, uh, or they could be Yakuza. Um, 
I like that, that this could be a smaller group within the Yakuza group, potentially. Uh, it could be a, a, a smaller group within Roxxon. It could be everybody that's in, that's in that building. Uh, I like there's just this little moment of, well, don't know why they should, why those guys shot those guys, but they weren't in on the plan. They weren't in to be, to know this idea that they aren't, uh, aren't Yakuza members. So, um, yeah, really cool ending to the episode. Though. Absolutely. Cause I was wondering what was the, the strings that they seem to be wrapping around their thumbs or their fingers. Um, they were wrapping that because the for the because if you do something bad, they take your finger. So they were trying to stop the blood foe um, on the strings because he he had his box full of fingers, yeah, and he took out his little sword. So they assumed that they were going to be lose a finger for letting this happen. Well, that's the way I very assume. good, very good. No, yeah, I, yeah. No, I kind of I got I got that, but I thought it was going to be Stan, and so I actually thought that the bodyguards were going to strangle him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was happening. I thought they were kind of like uh, okay. pull, getting uh, something together. But then you're right. They might just have thought, well, he's going to take our fingers because we were also at fault. So, yeah, okay. Um, I just wondered what they were doing. It, it was sort of... And then, yeah, obviously, the other guy comes in with the silenced uh, gun and shoots them both in the head. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the big question is, does Stan, the accountant, survive? Well, because he has to because he has the books. So that's a bit, the, 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 the next part of this is kind of what the hell was in the coded books that was so bad yeah. that it had to be coded, not drugs, human trafficking, uh, weapons or anything else like that. Like I went, Oh, black sky, black sky, mm-hmm. me, sir, me, sir. I know the answer. <laughs> um, but like, it's kind of like, okay, so I, will he stay alive? Will they keep him around? Because he is in theory, the hands accountant. That's true. Which is which is like good to know that even your most dastly evil corporation or evil entity must have a good accountant on the books. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> if you've got if you've got a, a degree in accounting, you've got many opportunities. It's, it's the, the money world. that talks. We uh-huh. saw yeah. that with Stringer Bell from the Wire. Money talks. Follow the trail. And we also saw that last season in Daredevil as well, with the L. Owly, Owly, um, yes, no, really, really like the scene and kind of brings me on to my final point, which is the, uh, which is the, the other one I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, our Daredevil James Bond crossover, <laughs> effectively. Um, the whole, the whole scene of the two of these characters working together and working their magic to retrieve the books from, uh, from, uh, Stan's office, I thought was fantastically done. You know, um, some great moments in there where, uh, where Matt uses his blindness and, uh, his quick and fast ability to throw a wine glass over someone. Uh, really, really enjoyed that to get the key card. Thought that was quite cool. Um, going in and following Stan into the bathroom and taking out three guys in, in two seconds flat. Absolutely great. And then obviously the investigation as to how they find the um how they find the key card and Matt using his abilities again uh, definitely seeing a lot more of Matt, Matt's abilities uh, throughout this scene um where Electra's about to go up and approach and pickpockets down and and Matt's the one that realizes that there's all eyes in the area are on him uh, thought that was really cool a nice little uh, shimmer to show that he's that he's using his powers effectively um stuff in the office where he's able to tell there's a there's a secret wall behind uh behind oh, yeah. the desk that was very cool uh being able to find out where the um where the the switch is to be able to open the door because you can see there's a break in the electrical activity over beside the little bonsai tree and then as electra twists it she goes i did that all myself <laughs> <laughs> really good uh really fun as i say bondian moments and again the tux certainly helps with charlie cox uh, yeah it was great 
Yeah, I really like the first uh, safe that Matt opened by putting his fingers up against um, the the door of the safe and him turning the the, the dial. It, it like using his hand instead of the the stethoscope type thing that you would use to hear all those mechanisms moving around. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm, yeah, really good touch. For me, I have to say one thing. He used his cane as a billy club. Uh-huh. Yes, he oh, did. Yeah. This was brilliant because it showed that he doesn't always have to be in the suit mm-hmm. to be Daredevil. Because it was just like, yeah, he was like, he stopped or pulled her back when he heard people coming. They walked slowly down the stairs. Um, as you saw people coming, as people went up, up the, across from the floor above them. Mm-hmm. So they were hiding just down to the corner of the stairs. Um, I I really loved the bit with the electric electrical charge and the electrical current you could feel because I thought that was cool. He was just like waving his hand. It's like use the force, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit like it's gonna be cool. Yeah, I really I really loved the stealth uh, movement around the around the corridors. Yeah, that was one of the really cool scenes. It, it did feel like Metal Gear Solid or something like that, a computer game as well, where where he's able to kind of sense what's coming around the corner and obviously electric can't, but. Uh, I think she even says, "Good job, Mister Magoo." Uh, to, to him, uh, named after the uh, the one of the uh, blind cartoon character again. A nice little niggle from uh, from Electra to uh, to Matt there. Uh, yeah, great, really good scene. Yeah, the only thing I found slightly weird about that whole part with him and his powers and the James Bond moment was he somehow knew that paper was in the drawer. I was like, "Hold on, you see world on fire particles." I'm like, "What? How do you? What?" I was like, how does he know that was paper? I was like, okay, can he smell it? Uh... <laughs> That's the drawer full of books and paper. Yeah. 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 I was like, eh, okay, that was a stretch, but I, I'm going with it. Absolutely. I'm going with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, really good, really good fun scene. Again, really good to see the investigation side of, of, uh, of Daredevil and Matt and Electra working together. Definitely. So John, do you want to give us your last point? Yeah, it's simply, it's an extension of of uh, what I talked about before. It's just Electra's goading of Matt. I thought the exchange that they had immediately after uh, the Yakuza fight at the start, and she kind of goes hungry, and it's, you see this sort of huge smile on Electra's face, um, you know, happy times with Matt all back again, mm-hmm. where they're fighting and getting, I suppose, get just getting excited and maybe aroused um, by all this physical violence. Um, but I, I love the, the exchange. Um, you know, she really does goad him throughout this episode. She calls him, um, you said, not bad, Magoo, uh, when he just pulls her down the side on on uh, floor 13. And as two of the, the guards come around the corner, mm-hmm. um, as she's propositioning Matt to help her infiltrate rocks on to get this ledger um you know there's all this sort of bartering and negotiation going on between the two of them and uh matt's kind of going you know and then you'll leave my city and she goes don't worry i'm out of your city as <laughs> and when and I, i'm really glad she did that because um daredevil's ownership of this city is sometimes just grates with me slightly and <laughs> um, that it, it's still being used as the phrase throughout the season um i'm it made sense in season one mm-hmm. i think um 
And it still makes sense here, but I think maybe it's being overused a bit, actually. Um, I think he needs to get off his high horse a bit with that. Um, and I, I like the fact that she goads him on it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I love that. Um, you know, she, I love the fact that she says, of course, no sex. You know, her condition is no sex. <laughs> um, and he's like, lecture, you've got such a purr kind of thing, you know. Um, and she goes, well, every man has that I know of, yeah. uh, looking straight at him saying, even you, Matt. Like, she was really kind of uncompromising with, with Matt Murdock here. And I kind of liked that. I liked that she's not deferential to him in mm-hmm. any way. Because, yes, Foggy is to an extent. There's a lot, even though he challenges him as well, yeah. there is a deference underlying all of this. Absolutely. Hence why he takes on the Punisher job with Karen. Yeah. Uh, Foggy, Foggy is absolutely Matt's sidekick and always has been. He knows that. He's always been his wingman. Um, yeah. So you're right. He is he's totally deferential to Matt all the time. And I love Electra's, I love her drunken act on floor 11. With, with Matt were, you know, ultimately maybe not proper sex, but she's kind of, um, she's gotten close again to Matt. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of, I love her sort of mischievousness, actually. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think it played out really well, but I do think it was great that in a jokey way, she kind of calls Matt out on a few things throughout this, um, throughout this episode. Um, and I, I just thought that was really quite good. Even, even to the extent where she goes, same time tomorrow night, Matt, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. you just wonder, is that going to happen? I yeah. really hope it does because again, it might just help with the breakdown of Karen and really just has sort of Matt's world crumbling around him. And I think that would be a really interesting, um, direction for the, the season that, those really troubled relationships that Matt Murdock has in the comic books Mm -hmm. and which really impact on his life. And I think this is, this could be a really nice way of getting into it. Absolutely. No one can resist a bad girl really, can they? (laughs) No, no. Especially if it's Electra Nachos. Who doesn't love Nachos? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm, Well, I think we're done with our top five points. Um, Anybody have any notes they want to throw out? I've got one. Um, Mr. Hiroshi, um, who, well, I actually said hello to him. I kind of started thinking, and again, this is because it's, I, who said it was Ikuza, blah, blah, blah. Um, he could be the Lord Hiroshi, who was the leader of the faction of the Hand when, um, in the comic books. Oh, right. Electra died, and she turned out to be a scroll, mm-hmm. and it turns, then the Hand went for Daredevil to be, its leader, and it was a big faction, and there was a big fight, etc. Could this be Lord Hiroshi, who is actually this isn't the hand, this is a fraction of the hand. The hand is still gone, but this is him wanting to reclaim Hell's Kitchen as one of their own. Or I'm just wondering, is this actually the the same character, or is this just a oh, we have a useful name? There mm-hmm. we go. Possibly, possibly. That's very interesting. Yeah, nice, nice, uh, nice catch there, Chris. One of my notes for the episode is uh, I loved the discussion again. It's in this discussion with Frank Castle where when Foggy tells him that Reyes has, hasn't accepted the full terms of their agreement, that uh, he's going to be put in prison. He's going to be in general population or gen pop, which means he's going to be surrounded by criminals. And Frank's response to that is sounds like a party, which is the <laughs> first, first big comic book 
Punisher that we've heard here. Um, you know, obviously we've seen the actions of the vigilante Punisher in the show and how they're setting up in the Daredevil season, but this really feels like Frank Castle. It feels like him being inside a prison surrounded by criminals is, I suppose, like Rorschach in The Watchmen. I'm not trapped in here with them. They're trapped in here with me is very much a Punisher type of phrase. You know, uh, this is exactly what I felt. We felt like for Frank's reaction to that. I don't mind if I go to prison. Uh, I'm going to be able to take out some of those criminals that are still alive. Uh, it seems to be the attitude. So I really like that. And one of the note from me, uh, we were wrong, Chris, when we discussed the relationship or the startup of Marin. We thought that Foggy knew about it, or I definitely did. I thought that Foggy was giving the all clear and giving the old friendship thumbs up to Matt. Um, no, not really. He, he kind of seemed pretty surprised that the, uh, that they were in a relationship in this episode. Um, I think he kind of thought that Matt was walking her home and it's a nice little romantic moment, but he hadn't been told about it afterwards, it feels like. And the reaction from Foggy was uh, was great. It was, uh, what? what? Hold on a second. Is this thing a thing? Yeah? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not a thing. Yeah. That that felt, that was, I was like, ah. Poor Foggy. I was still, yeah, it was a poor Foggy moment. And it then was, they, absolutely. And then they left the room as well, not even giving him any further explanation. Marin leaves the room and goes off for another snog. Yeah, that that was my only note here was just the 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 woe moment. You know, did this really happen from from uh, from Foggy? And like you said, Chris, it's just more like, is he fine with this relationship? Maybe he's not. Maybe with uh, Matt going off now to this other client who's got all the money, he's been left with the the client that's got no money and is probably going to destroy the the practice and mm-hmm. um, the legal firm. Then. Maybe this is up. all starting to build up where there's going to be a bit of a big blowout between the two. And again, I think it's it really speaks back to the comics of Matt's own destructive personality mm-hmm. uh, with his friends and accomplices, in, in so to speak, that this will be kind of quite good. Because it did. It seemed like, oh, okay, this is happening, you know, and it, it seemed a strange surprise to him, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but you did see them holding hands going into Frank Castle's uh, uh, hospital room as well. And, but, but I think also to that, I think Karen was also holding um, Matt's arm all the way going into the hospital the whole time. So maybe just that little slip might not have been as big a thing as when, you're, when two of your friends or the two other co-workers you have in an office just make a, a kiss a kiss goodbye he, right in front of you. Not something you generally see from your co-workers if you didn't know they were going out, you know? That's true. Um, but I think the only note I've got as well then is I love the cuffs, the tape around the bed and just that empty room of Frank Castle's hospital room. I thought it was a real nicely set up scene. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that Frank Castle calls out, you protect shit bags. Um, yeah, that's in inverted commas. And then ultimately is being protected by them. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a nice little call out, obviously to, to Grotto. Um, so who was one of his intended victims and what was a victim of his. Yeah. So like really, that was just a nice little scene I thought as well. Totally agree. And once again, it's, it's the, the power of the storytelling in the show is, is really about everybody has their own motivation and they do show at every turn uh, when they get the opportunity, what the motivation of, of people are. So there's not as many supporting actors in this show um, than, than you would get in a lot of other shows. Everybody's shown why they feel that they're doing things the right way. And again, 
he's really Frank's really calling out the fact that yeah okay you think you're the greatest defender in all of uh, of Hell's Kitchen history you think you're a great lawyer uh, dealing with the cases that other people don't want to take but he killed people he shot people just like I did and you think I'm the bad guy you know uh, but you're getting people off effectively not not grotto unfortunately yeah. and on that note Chris do you defend this episode of Daredevil season 2 episode 6 regrets only I do, I do, even though it was a slower kind of, it was slower, but from kind of the fast breakneck speed that we've been used to, this was kind of one of our lull episodes, but they they did something very right in the season where this lull episode, they still gave us action, they gave us two Mm -hmm. fight scenes, they gave us this break-in, they advanced the plot in a number of different cases, um, while still kind of it was a slow chug, and it was good. I like so for every question they closed for me in that, uh, they oh how was Punisher and Frank Castle going to be brought back mm-hmm. in? Uh, they opened a new one, which is why is Reyes going after him so badly, etc. Well, they like for okay, Roxanne and the Yakuza. No, not the Yakuza. It could be the hand. Blah, blah blah. So they're doing it very well in that. Okay, this is this is the question we have. Let's answer that. Oh, but wait, from that one question, you on one answer, you get two different questions mm-hmm. coming out of it. So I thought it was really good. One of my favorite episodes? No. Um, one of the best of the season? No. But it was good. It was the, the they they fixed the problems I had with a lot of these filler episodes where they didn't give you enough to go yeah. on. That this was like okay, this is going to be a slow episode, and you knew it straight out, and this was how they did mm-hmm. it. Excellent. So yes, I defend. Excellent. So, John, do you defend this episode? I do defend this episode of Daredevil. Um, I would give it three and a half um, fingers, Yakuza chopped off fingers out of five. <laughs> um, certainly not the Cadbury variety. And um, I really liked it. I liked the continued sort of sort of reining in on the pace. I, I like the exploration of the, the relationships here, again, between... Um, Electra and Matt, but also with Foggy and Matt and, and Karen's sort of interview with Frank Castle, they, they were all kind of nice little set pieces almost, um, of, of these character developments, which I really quite liked. And um, plus you had the fight at the start, you had the break in to give that bit of action that I think Chris is right. You kind of do need this in, in a show that sets itself as being such a visceral, raw and violent um, show, which also and certainly prides itself from certainly season one. And we've seen it already in season two on some really amazingly uh, good set fight scenes. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think you, you need to have that aspect there in the background. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be as brash as, as those massive set pieces, but it's good that they're still there, even in some of these slower, um, episodes, uh, because it helps with the pacing change because there's still a bit of, of rush in it. Um, it's not just completely slowed down. Mm-hmm. I think as well, Electra is such a hyper active, energetic character that even though it is a slowdown of pace she just brings excitement to the role i've absolutely i absolutely yeah. loved her um in the last two episodes i love her relationship with matt i love how it's so tense so so um sort of 
argumentative, yet they do seem to still be there together. There seems to be that bond that won't quite unstick between the two of them, uh, despite what's happened. And again, you had that here, um, and I really, really liked it. Um, really good episode from that point of view for me, and that's why I give it three and a half um, Yakuza chopped off fingers out of out of five. On that note, Derek, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? I do defend this episode. I really, really enjoyed it. I loved Karen and uh, and Frank Castle together in a room. I thought they were really good, good scene. Love John Bernthal in that scene specifically. Again, to your point, John, Elodie Young is knocking it out of the park as a lecture. Her playfulness, the action sequence at the start that we were waiting so long for, uh, unlike most of our listeners, I'm sure, um, I think it paid off totally. And the playfulness all the way throughout the episode where Matt's trying to calm her down, trying to get, trying to rein her in, but she is not for taming. Uh, thought that was great. I do agree with you about Foggy. I do feel that he is. Um, getting a bit of a, a a bums rush from everybody around him is being told what to do by a lot of people. So he is he is really kind of being pushed to the side. Um, but I think it's going to come back. And the one thing about this episode that makes me really excited is we are going to get a courtroom scene. It's coming. We're going to be going back to court with Matt Murdoch. Yes, lawyer by day, defender by night. And finally, we're <laughs> going to see him in a courtroom. That's quite cool. Looking forward to it. So, yes, I do defend this episode. Cool. One thing I should add as well is that, um, you know, I hope that the consequences of some of these little interrelationship tensions that are building up, and I don't necessarily mean the obvious one between Electra and Matt, although obviously there has to be a consequence there, but it's mm-hmm. also, um, I want to see Karen see Electra and find out about Electra for the first time. And the same with, with Foggy. That, that they really get to suddenly see that it's not like he's saving people, which is probably what Foggy Me thinks he's doing in a lot of yeah. cases, that he's with Electra, who maybe he knows something about her yeah, already. And um, so some of these sort of tensions that maybe us or secrets that are starting to build up between these characters, I, I really hope that they are exposed. And I hope they've done so in a really meaningful way, actually, because mm-hmm. um, that that would be the slight letdown from this episode. And the last one is that this time and effort and pacing that's been gone into exposing all this Absolutely. really doesn't get fulfilled in a meaningful way. Well, let's hope it does. Yeah, definitely. I think that's it for this episode of Defenders TV Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us, listeners. Make sure you d- you subscribe to the podcast by going to DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes if you want to get it over on iTunes, or you can subscribe to us on any good or evil podcast catcher if you are an Android listener by just searching for Defenders TV Podcast or searching for Daredevil or searching for Agent Carter or searching for Jessica Jones. Our podcast will pop up once you search for any of those words, to be honest. So uh, search for us, subscribe to us, leave us a review if you're in an area that can leave us a review. And, of course, you can also send us feedback on any of the episodes that we've covered so far, any of the movies that we're going to be covering, just by emailing us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or come on over and join the group on Facebook. All you need to do is go to Facebook.com slash groups slash DefendersTVPodcast, click join, and one of us will approve you, and you can come in and have a chat with us about uh, about the podcast or any of the episodes. Overall, thanks very much for joining us for this episode of Defenders TV Podcast. We'll be back with you for episode seven of Daredevil next week, which is Semper Fidelius or Semper Fi. Semper Fi! Semper Fi! 
Yeah, no, guys, thank you so much for listening in. Um, of course, because I'm such a gentleman, I even though I was controlling the podcast, I let Derek feel, Mother Derek feel that he was in control by giving him the ending. So from all of us here at Defenders TV Podcast, we'll see you next week. Yep, see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. It's been a while since I put any outtakes in the podcast. Just thought these ones were a bit of fun to share with you. Talk to you again next week. Bye. And I hasten to add no relation of Stephen. Oh, no. <laughs> the Knights. <laughs> Why is it a no? True Goddard. True Goddard. Yeah. Um, I hasten to add. <laughs> <laughs> I hasten to add no relation of uh, True Goddard. Mm-hmm. There's, there's going to be some wild herrings in here. That we can, because we know they've all but said that they're Red definitely herrings. as tie-ins. Is that what you're? But I love wild herring as <laughs> well. Wild herring is gorgeous. Yeah, it's really tasty. Red mullet's great as well. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickering myth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye bye.